You're listening to Field Day with Katie Black. Okay, you guys, welcome to the first ever episode of Field Day with Katie Black. My first guest I have here, welcome, Ed Smith is in the house. Katie, thank you so much for having me. And as as you just mentioned, this is your first. First off, congratulations. And I'm honored to be uh, the inaugural guest on your show. Well, thank you so much. Yes, I'm I'm so excited. Before we get into what you're currently doing now in life, I always try to ask people, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? I am a native, born and raised of New Jersey. Uh, you know, they always joke and say Jersey is a great place to be from. Uh, you know, I, like I said, born and raised, you know, dating myself. I graduated from high school in 1987. I uh, was uh, signed to go to the University of North Carolina on a full baseball scholarship. And everybody wanted me to play football as well. Um, I kind of turned down all the other offers, signed my letter to the University of North Carolina. Then, lo and behold, the White Sox came a-knocking at my door that year in 1987. I got drafted in the seventh round, went back and forth with them for a little bit, eventually signed to start my professional baseball career right out of high school. And from there, Katie, I've just been traveling the globe all over the place between two professional sports, but everything started in South Jersey. Um, give a shout out to Pemberton Township High School. Go Hornets. What's up? Well, you know, it's always interesting. Obviously, we'll get into like your football career later. But so obviously to play baseball and football, we're just like as a youth, you just knew you were an athlete. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? One of those, yeah, one of those things, Katie, where, you know, everybody has those gifts, you know, and sometimes they're realized and unrealized. I think very early on in life, everybody kind of saw my athletic ability, uh, you know, and on, on the uh, flip side, I've got no um, musical talent. I've got no artistic talent. Uh, I have a lot of other things I'm not very good at, uh, but sports was something like almost, you know, my mom and dad would always tell us stories right out of the womb. Uh, you know, from two years old, I was shooting baskets and stuff like that. And it just, you know, got an early start into the world of athletics, uh, you know, followed my dreams and my passions, which baseball was my main focus early on. And just to let you know, I tried football one time at the age of eight and did not like it at all. And I, I my mom wouldn't let me quit that year because I remember going home after that first practice, my brother and myself, he's two years younger than me, but I told her, mom, I don't like this. I don't want to play. And she said, well, you know, that's fine and dandy, but we don't quit things in this house. So you're going to have to, we're going to have to figure out how to get you through this first season. And from there you can choose, pick and choose, you know, and that, so I, I gutted it out. If you want to call it that, uh, played that one year of football, actually played soccer from the time along with basketball, baseball, soccer, all the way till I was in high school at 14, dropped soccer, ended up going to football and that's, you know, that's the rest was history after that. I kind of blossomed. Uh, but yeah, all the other sports, I, I loved everything, uh, oh you goodness. know, really, really competitive. And, uh, you know, the the fact that I played a whole bunch of different sports that made me, a, in my opinion, a much more rounded athlete. I By the time I got to high school, because of the soccer, I turned out to be not only the starting tight end, I played defensive end as well, but then I did all the kicking throughout my all the way from my freshman year 
through my senior year as well. One year I was actually all state punter along with all state tight end, but I did the kicking, the punting, everything. And that's only because of those found skills with the early uh, introduction to, uh, to soccer along with everything else I was doing. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm sure you have, it sounds like I'm sure you have a long list of friends. No. Yes. Yes. I, and you know, the thing about it, Katie, I like to keep, you know, a lot of people, they leave things behind. You know, I, I have people going all the way back to my first T-ball team when I was five years old, you know, we, we you know, we all grew up, uh, went to high school, you know, grade school, grade, whatever, all the way through high school. I have those friends as, as well as a ton of people I've met along the way through my professional sports career, whether it be coaches, teammates, uh, you know, people that worked. I was my old radio men. I'm one of my really great friends, Andrew Monaco. We were on buses together in the minor leagues. He eventually started working with the Orlando Magic, then went out to the Spurs. He's now the voice of the uh, Texas A&M Aggies. He does bas- basketball, baseball, and football. But I, like I said, that's a relationship I've had since, you know, riding buses together in 1994 uh, with the Orlando Cubs in AA, you know, in the Southern League. Very cool. So, well, I guess, you know, so much to unpack, but essentially what was it like to get drafted that first time? It was, it was amazing. You know, it was, it was really as, as great a time was, it was also a difficult time because I had gone through the whole, you know, I guess trying to figure out what's cause everybody wanted me to play football while I was in high school. You know, I was a big glory sport. I wanted to be a baseball player. And so, you know, I went through all the, you know, every college in the country coming to my school wanted to recruit me, you know, all the long talks with head coaches, all that to tell them in the end, hey, I'm actually, I want to play baseball in college. And, you know, a lot of the coaches, they still put the press on, hey, we can come and you can play on a football scholarship and we'll let you play football or baseball on the side as well. And I knew what would happen. I'd seen it before. They get you there on a football scholarship. Eventually, baseball is less of a priority, so they talk you into. So I was very adamant about the fact I wanted to chase my own dream, not do what everybody else wanted me to do. In the end, I chose University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, on a full baseball scholarship, and I promised them that I would play football on the side. So I flipped it on them. And then after that was all said and done to get drafted and then have to you know, go back and forth with that portion of the decision you know, whether I come right out of high school, you know, obviously my coach at the time, my, my coach would, you know, sign me from University of North Carolina every day. He's calling me, trying to convince me that the scholarship and to come to North Carolina and I got the White Sox, you know, every time my scout, uh, Ed Ford, would come, he's sweetening the offer a little bit. And so when it was all said and done, it was, you know, I'm not going to say it was a headache because I enjoyed the final outcome of the decision. But, you know, at 17, you know, soon, to, you know, by the time I, Signed my uh, uh, first contract. I turned 18 just a couple of days before graduating and being on a plane to go to Florida to start my professional baseball career. But it was a lot, you know, it wasn't as easy as most because I had so much kind of to weed through. But in the end, you know, I, I, I thank God for that decision and a whole bunch of others that I made, even though it wasn't what you call a rosy, like, you know, like uh, everything went perfect once I, made my decisions. I had a lot of things to deal with along the journey of my career, but they, everything led to something else. And I'm very, you know, like I said, not many people can say they played two professional sports. You know, I remember the, when I first got, when I did get drafted, how, you know, and I was uh, always a highly touted out uh, athlete, but just, you know, all that came with it, my 
the glory of being that dude in high school, being drafted, and it made my family proud. Uh, I was proud of my accomplishments, but like I said, it was uh, definitely a lot to to get through in those first few years. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. My understanding is like about nine or 10 years later um, after baseball is when you went into the NFL, right? Is that correct? Yeah, I, I did it for nine years. I was, I, I, I say I topped out at AAA. So, I, you know, I, it wasn't like I, you know, I had to put the time in. Mm-hmm. I climbed up the ladder uh, in 1995 after nine years. I'd come to a crossroad in my mind where it was time to do something different with my life. And I wasn't sure what it was at the time while I'm trying to make the, once again, make some of these decisions and football popped into my head, but I also had to realize I hadn't played uh, football in 10 years. Last time I put your uniform on was in high school, my senior year, high school in 1986. So, you know, I, after almost talking myself out of it a whole bunch of times, I, you know, had some conversations with my brother who was by then, he's two years younger than me, but by then he'd been through four years at, Notre Dame with Lou Holtz and had gotten into the league first round pick with the New Orleans Saints in 93. And we're like I said, fast forward into 1995, he's getting ready for his first year or third year in the NFL. And I called him one night, middle of my baseball season in 95. And I threw this crazy idea at him that, you know, I was thinking about maybe hanging up the cleats after nine years and football had crossed my mind and was hoping, almost hoping he would tell me I was crazy by thinking about, what I was planning on doing if I got his blessing. And, you know, and instead he told me, Hey, look, man, if anybody can do it, you can. And anything I can do to assist you, I will obviously. And that sparked the idea of, Hey, okay, maybe I'm not being crazy. So I finished once again, you know, I'm not a quitter. I wasn't going to walk away from even that last season of baseball. Even though I knew what I was planning on doing moving forward. And I actually finished those last two, two and a half months out. Uh, with the Indians. By then, I was with them. Uh, after that year, I went and got in shape, ended up in the spring of 96 going over to the World League of American Football. One, you know, actually, actually able to win a job in that league, uh, came back here to the States after about three months of football, not including an injury. I almost lost everything before it even happened. I blew out my MCL while over there in Europe. I was with the uh, Frankfurt Galaxy, but you know, things worked out. I got back here after playing a few games or three games after my injury, got back here to the States and went right into my first training camp in the NFL that summer. And lo and behold, I played a few years. I'm sure you you might have a question about my football career, but yeah, I was able to make my way into the uh, NFL, uh, you know, and uh, kind of get that second uh, professional career started. Yeah, my goodness, that's amazing. I'm also too like analytical. So when you say, can you talk about your injury or like, did you immediately knew as soon as it happened that it was bad? Oh yeah, yeah. I was actually blocking, and I had it was game four. So I had you know I went over there. I'd done something. You know, here I was a tight. I knew I was a former baseball player. All everybody wanted to do was talk about, wow, this dude's out there. He's a tight end. Uh, you know, haven't played football in 10 years and he made the team here. And he's, you know, at one point in a second or third game, I made a catch in the back of the end zone against uh, the London Monarchs turned out. Uh, and this is, I really date myself. Now the George Michael sports machine was still uh, being, it was a show back here. And I was actually the play of the week on the George Michael sports machine. That kind of yes. got some notoriety and thing like things like that. And this you know, former baseball player over there doing these things. 
and I was at game four against uh, London. No, it was against, um, who was it? Uh, it was against the, regardless who it was against, got caught up blocking, running back, got tackled behind me. They both landed on my knee, and I felt and heard the pop uh, like it was, you know, I knew immediately something was wrong. But believe it or not, Katie, I actually finished that last drive. We were trying to score to put the game away. Finished that last drive on nothing but grit. Uh, the next day, we went and had an MRI done. And, you know, my trainers, they kept thinking, well, you know, kind of good uh, uh, sign that you were able to finish the game. And maybe it's just a sprain. A doctor came in after they did the MRI and he put the sheet up on the board. He's like, oh, yeah, you totally ruptured your MCL. And it was like one of those, oh, my God, you know, just as fast as I made the transition, I was like, man, this is it. But, you know, I, they put me on a plane instead of doing surgery. They flew me back from Germany to Alabama uh, Health South, uh, which was where they sent all the players when they were dealing with injuries. So I came all the way back across the pond, rehab for four weeks instead of doing surgery. If I'd done surgery, I was out probably two to three months, whereas I the, the rehab I did, I was rehabbing six days a week, seven actually, because I was trying to get in there on Sundays as well. They would only let me go six and a half days, but I rehabbed for four weeks, building up scar tissue to take mm -hmm. the place of the MCL. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and every day when I left, we were 4-0. While I was gone, they lost the next four games. My team, they were calling from all the way from Germany, is he ready yet? Is he ready yet? You know, and after four weeks, I, I, I don't know how I did it. I was just healthy enough for them to put me back on a plane. I went back over. The team was now 4-4. Four and four. Uh, Here comes Ed to the rescue, according to them. You know, we ended up winning the next two games. I scored a couple touchdowns in those last games. We went over to the to Scotland to play in the World Bowl. And then that's what, you know, then I got back here to the States. But initially, Katie, I thought just as fast as it had started, it was over. And, you know, like you say, you're talking about injury as a part of football. And, I, you know, I, it's one of those situations where, you know, you're talking about devastating. That would have, it would have worked out any other way. Not only would I have lost my football career, but I would have lost my you know, walked away from that nine, almost 10 years of professional baseball. But, you know, everything worked out the way it was supposed to. God had a plan for me. And, you know, I look back on it now and there were some days where I had serious doubt and, you know, what the heck was I doing? And but like I said, it all worked out according to the plan. Very cool. Well, and behind you, I see you've got the Eagles. And yeah. <laughs> And I know you played for the Detroit Lions and the, you know, we had talked about off mic, the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. Um, I know I, that might be an unfair question, but what was your, what was your favorite team that you played on? It is the, and yeah, you're seeing behind me, I got too much junk in here. I got my Falcons jerseys, things it. like that. I played uh, two years with the Falcons, 97, 98, and Without any doubt, my two years in Atlanta were the best, not only of my football career, but my entire career. I was able to kind of put my stamp on things as far as my career. Uh, I was able to play in a Super Bowl. I was on the 98 NFC Championship team, the Atlanta Falcons, which ended up going to a Super Bowl to play against Denver. Uh, we ended in that, we ended up losing. It was John Elway's last, uh, last game. But to cap off my part of my career because I ended up playing after that. I went to Detroit, Philly. I also played in the XFL as well. The first rendition of it uh, was turned out to be my last year in 2000, uh, 2001 it was, but I'm, you know, when I tell you, I was able to 
really fulfill some dreams and and kind of realize some things, all the hard work, everything I put in, and to be able to, like I said, play in a Super Bowl. My brother ended up playing, he played eight and a half, eight and almost nine years in the league. He never even, you know, got to the championship game, you know, and the, the year I actually went to the Super Bowl, he was actually in uh, San Fran with Jerry Rice and Steve Young and Garrison Hurst and uh, Terrell Owens. We had, they were actually in the same division with us at the time. It was still the old NFC West. We actually played them twice during the regular season, which we split. Then we had to play a third time in the divisional round to see who went to play Minnesota to get to the Super Bowl. So, you know, you're talking about great family moments. Uh, my brother and I being out on the field together, man, to be honest with you, my very first game I was active in the NFL was against my brother and the Saints. Uh, in uh, 97. So you know, you talk about some great moments and memories, not just for myself, but on my entire, entire family, mom and dad being out there with us, you know, coming to games and seeing both their boys, you know, one of them who used to be a minor league baseball player. Now we we're both playing in the NFL together was a dream come true. But yeah, definitely my time in Atlanta was, you know, the most special of all the 15 years of sports. And, you know, I left a lot of blood and some tears and whole lot of things out there. Like I said, it was all well worth it in the end. That's amazing. Well, real quick, what is it like to like play against your sibling as opposed to just playing, you know, just a normal game with not in that scenario? Those were, you know, it's funny, just amazing because for years, you know, I was playing minor baseball. My brother was in college. I would go see him when he was at Notre Dame. I saw some of the biggest Notre Dame rivalry games when you're going back to when, you know, Miami, Notre Dame, Michigan, Notre Dame, uh, some of those real great ones. I was actually in the stands for those. In turn, he used to come out and catch me whenever he could. You know, I remember after he got drafted in the NFL, first thing he did, my mom and dad, they all came out to see me. I was in a double A with the uh, Pile of Brewers at the time. You know, they came out to see me uh, in El Paso, Texas. So all through our careers, you know, he's coming to watch me. I'm coming to watch him. And when it all came about and all of a sudden now I had baited into the NFL and we're standing out on the same field. Not I'm not in the stands. I'm actually on the same field. And I remember we both purposely doing the national anthem. We stood directly across from each other right on about like the 50 yard line and to look across at him and see him. And, you know, I was always so proud of him, what he had done in the NFL. Now all of a sudden his big brother had turned off, pulled this crazy stunt off and we're standing on the same field. You're talking about like your heart's ready to explode. And I'll tell you the realization one time, and it might've been our second or third time playing against each other. We were trying to lock the game up and it was onside kick. And I was on the very far end. I was on the front line on our, on our hands team. And all of a sudden over, you know, and we're getting ready for this onside kick. And all of a sudden over to my shoulder, I hear this familiar voice don't drop it. You know, don't, 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 don't be nervous. You know, it's my brother messing with me. And I was just like, it was that you talking about a surreal moment where I was right. just like, man, shut up, leave me alone, you know? And, and, uh, and I, I'll give you a real quick story. I don't want to bore you too much, but no, no. When, when I was one of my second year, uh, he's in, well, yeah, you know, he was in San Fran. So it was my third year in the league where, uh, we we always had this ritual. The mom and dad would come out and watch, Wherever we were, especially when we were playing against each other, we always went out to dinner the night before. So on this particular night, you know, they, he came in from San Fran, mom, dad, myself, we all go out to dinner, uh, take him back to their hotel. And I'm taking him back to his to drop him off. And he told me, he said, look at him. They were wild because I was on a different special teams units. And he said, Ed, I'm like, you know, don't tell him, but I told you this. 
He said, uh, you know, we've obviously they were watching, we watching film, getting ready for a game. Our special teams coach said they're going to try to attack you on the left wing because I was on the field goal unit. I was on the left wing. The last guy, you know, you had to step down and get the guy, the screamer off the edge. Right. He's like, yeah, he's like, make sure you're real tough on that inside because they were they were trying to they were kind of going to come after me. I was like, I appreciate that. The heads up, bro, you know, and that, that just goes to prove, you know, blood is thicker than water or whatever. Because I remember that game, especially I was I made sure I was extra, uh, t- you know, attentive to that inside gap, you know, just to make sure. But, you know, like I said, that was funny. He told me that little tidbit and I made sure I uh, did what I was supposed to do on that uh, particular team. I love that. I love that. <laughs> well, so the both worlds playing, you know, playing baseball and playing football. I mean, obviously I get the vibe that you're, if you had to pick, you'd pick baseball. And then second question, what is more like camaraderie? Like which, which sport has more of like, I literally feel my team behind me. That That's a, first off, you know, yeah, baseball was my first love. I, if I had to do it all over again, I'd do the same thing. I, you know, I'm not as fond of the game today because once you start playing as a professional, it turns into business. And I went through a whole bunch of mess as far as that goes. But like I said, I love the game of baseball from the time I was a toddler, would always make that choice. I don't care what alternate universe I was in. I would always go back to baseball as my first love. Uh, the fact that, you know, I was able to play at the highest level, meaning football, it, you know, because people, people always ask me, well, which one did you enjoy more? Or the longer your question, the one that baseball was always – it's a team sport, but it's also very singular because I, you know, when I'm up there against the pitcher, it's me against him. I could have a great day on the on the baseball field. I could go four for four with two home runs, six RBIs, you know, and have the greatest of day. But we got beat by 16. You know, just one of those bad days for the team. I'm feeling great. Team is feeling horrible. Same thing on the reverse. There are times when I'd be like 0 for four, but we end up beat just stomping somebody. So I'm looking at my stats for the day. It's like, doggone, I had a horrible day. I booted one in the field, two strikeouts, you know, pop up to the pitcher, you know. So baseball has a tendency, even though it's a team sport, it very really is individual sometimes. Football, Katie, the, the ultimate in teamwork and camaraderie is the sport of football because I always tell people, one if one person on a football field, meaning on a, on a particular play, is not handling his business, meaning – uh, knows his assignment, executes his assignment. One person can be the difference between a play that is two yard, a two yard loss, or an eighty yard touch touchdown run. Because it's like if I don't care what your assignment is, it could be as simple as just cutting somebody off on the backside as a tight end. You let the guy get across your face, and all of a sudden your running back sees that perfect cutback lane, but boom, you didn't handle your business. He's tackled, like I said, for a loss. Whereas if you, the smallest thing, you make sure you cut that guy off or make him go the long way around, running back sneaks out that backside 80 yards later, it's a touchdown. And I remember I remember the feeling, you know, baseball, really exciting. You play 160 games in a season. It's only so many times you can get excited for those 160, you know. It's time to play ball, you know, you come out the dugout. I tell you, Katie, nothing like coming out of a tunnel on a Sunday in the NFL, and especially as the games got ratcheted more up, like, you know, playoffs and then going to a Super Bowl. I remember what it felt like to this day. I still get goosebumps when the Super Bowl, when it comes around every year. And, I, you know, people always want to hear the story. What was it like? And I tell you, it was one of those things where 
I could not have imagined, like I said, just a few years, short years earlier, being a minor league baseball player. Now I said, I'm coming out the tunnel on Super Bowl Sunday. And it just, like I said, even to this day, when I think about it, I get just chills because of how exciting it was. And you know, like I said, just the, the whole thing, you know, uh, that sport and that, that whole atmosphere. And even just a regular Sunday in the NFL, like I said, if you weren't excited and hyped and get ready, that's a good reason, a good way to get your head knocked off, you know? I'm so sure. it was, like I said, getting ready for a Sunday in the NFL, like it's nothing like it. That I just, yeah, just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, <laughs> now, and I asked this kind of, I love to ask this question, no matter what someone's occupation is, but specifically since you obviously were in the limelight, um, an athlete and maybe even, you know, even in high school, obviously I know you were, you know, very popular. What is it like? How do I say this? Like to have people around you that maybe not be the best for you. Is that something that you learned through time or? I was always one of those kids. First of all, I was very introverted. I was very quiet. Uh, even growing up and my morals and my values and everything I got, Katie, I have nobody to uh, thank more for that than my mother and my father. Uh, you know, just me and my, my brother, like as, as I mentioned, just the two of us. Um, but the way my mom and dad raised us and I, and I lost my dad about three years ago, a little over three years ago. But the foundation that he and my mother instilled in my, my brother and myself, they that carried me through my entire athletic career, my personal life, professional on and off the field, et cetera, et cetera. You don't have to be a professional athlete for trouble to be looming out there. And a lot of times the biggest trouble are come from the people that you are hanging around with. And the more popular you get and the more money, or at least the, the more money people think you're making and the type of friends you run around with, it can be a, it can be such a trap. Uh, what I always, like I said, I always fell, fell back on the teachings that I got from my mom and dad earlier. And I'm not going to say I didn't make some mistakes out there, you know, but one, you learn from the mistakes and you also try to minimize the trouble that you get. There's little trouble and then there's big trouble. And fortunately for me, there were a lot of times I could have went this way, could have went that way. And that little voice in my head always reminded me, and you don't ever want to do something stupid like that. You know, what What would you say to your mother and father or my grandmother? Or, you know, if I, I was always I didn't want to be that dude where the hey, calling everybody, you're going to see some stuff on the news. And I'm sorry I did it, but I mm -hmm. promise I won't do it again. You know, never wanted to be that guy. And like I said, I had plenty of opportunity because of, like I said, the environment I was living in um, it was it was really right for it to be around the wrong people. And I saw some of my teammates and friends just in general sometimes take those wrong paths and go the wrong way. And, you know, I, my dad had a saying, used to always say, uh, therefore, but the grace of God go I, meaning I, whatever somebody else is going through, very easily could have been me. And I thank God that, you know, I was blessed enough to, to get the teachings early and then not just get the teachings, but follow them. And, you know, nothing, nobody's perfect, Katie. But like I said, if you try to live a good life, um, you know, the reward is, you know, good times, more good times than bad. And I'm very fortunate that, you know, like I said I, more times than not, I made the right decisions. And that included the people that I wanted to be in my life and, and share things with and, and sometimes not follow. I, yeah, I, you know, shout out to your, your parents and your moral compass, right? 
Yeah. And, you know, like I said, it's no pat on the back. It's just, you know, because like I said, it's there's trouble waiting around every corner. And, you know, I try to do whenever I have an opportunity, one of my favorite things to do, you know, I, I you know, I'm a motivational speaker today. I go out and I talk to kids. I, that my biggest thing is just kind of trying to preach to them and not necessarily preach, just illustrate. That's even a better word. Illustrate to them. Um, there are a lot of things out there waiting for you. You know, just trying to make some of the, the, the right decisions and and also that hey, every now and then we're going to trip, we're going to fall, not make the right decision, but don't compound it. You know, uh, there's, you know, and then always, you know, just try to get them to listen more than they than they sometimes do. You know, I understand. So after, um, you know, your your the NFL career came to a close, what was that like emotionally? I always say vibes. Like, what was that like? <laughs> vibes. What was what was that experience like? Was it well, very it, hard for you? Was it? It wasn't hard for me because I always saw myself as more than an athlete, and I knew that at some point, you know, you were going to have to at least hang those shoes up in terms of playing on the field, you know. And I, you're never prepared for it unless you're somebody, you know, like a Tom Brady, when you can pick and choose when it's time for your career to be over. For most of us, it's just taken from you because you're either like for my case, I was too old um, to, you know, uh, to make the type of money that they were would have to pay me because you can go get a shinier new model, which was cheaper, uh, you know, so I had to face that fact. But at the same time, I knew it was time for a second, just as I did with baseball, it was time for the second, third or fourth chapter, whichever it was going to be in my life, you know, so, you know, initially I took a little time off my, I officially retired or let's just say I wasn't able to, my agent wasn't able to find another job in 2001 because quite honestly, if I could still play today, I would, you know, but obviously you can't. So I took a little time off around 2001, started thinking about some of the things I was going to do in the next chapter of Ed. And, you know, fortunately for me, you know, after 2001, obviously we're in the year 2022 now, I've accomplished some great things. I, you know, I took a stab initially at, you know, doing some financial planning, I went and got my Series 6, my 63, life, health, annuities, all that stuff. And I did that for a little bit. Found out I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. You know, so I took some a little more figuring out, um, you know, started, uh, wrote my own book, which was published my own, or had my book, my autobiography published in 2005, along with, you know, 2011, started doing radio for the first time. Uh, here I am 12 years later. Uh, you know, I have my show Easy Sports Talk, which I just celebrated uh, five plus years being on the air with Easy Sports Talk on KDUS 1060 AM out here. So, you know, along with speaking, you know, trying to be a good uh, person, uh, you know, like I said, I've uh, you know, I've held different jobs in the professional world. Um, at the same time, you know, I sort of continue to try to inspire some of our kids out there and do different things. I think I've done a good job here at, you know, like I said, 52 years old, uh, continuing to try to be the best I can. And, you know, I, you know, in the, in the, in the beginning, it was tough, uh, you know, no longer being an athlete on the field and everybody's always calling your name and this, that, and the other thing, but I still consider what I do very valuable. Uh, you know, not doing it in front of 80,000 people anymore on a Sunday, but, what I do and how I do it, I take a lot of pride in it and very, you know, uh, consider myself very blessed 
all these years later because I, you know, to I've seen Katie, I've seen a lot of athletes who did not know anything other than being an athlete. And that's dangerous when I when your entire identity is staked on that and all of a sudden all the cheers go away and people no longer want to call you and you're the first on their call list to either do something or they want to call you because they want to tell you how great you are and or how you played last week. When that all goes away, you don't have something else to, to tie you or to, to continue on. It can be a lonely life and it can also be a life where, you know, maybe you start making some bad decisions because you're always looking for that, that high of what that type of lifestyle used to bring to you. And like I said, it can be dangerous. I've seen a lot of guys, uh, if nothing else, make bad choices because of boredom or because like I said they're still chasing that that old high of being a professional athlete. Yes, I am. Just have always. Um, I don't want to say I'm, I've always been a weird kid, but I, I, I'm pretty much I've always been a weird outside the box. But that is something that I have um, studied with athletes. Is it's almost an identity crisis. Yes, absolutely. And it like I said, you know, you think about it, it can be addicting. You know, there, I, I, oh, for so many years, it, and it got to a point, Katie. For me, it was just so natural, you know, to go out and work in front of that many people. And it's nothing like, you know, being a professional athlete. Everywhere you go, everybody wants to comp you this, and you know, hey, you're the greatest, patting you on the back, and you know, oh, you played in a Super Bowl, and and then all of a sudden that just that all goes away, and it's amazing how fast some, you know, and and for somebody like me, I was always just a worker bee. But it really does. Like I said, when it goes away, it just goes away. And you have to really figure out what's next. And some guys never, they're always searching for that or they still want that. And like I said, when when it was time for me to, to, to walk away from the game, like I said, I had no problem doing it. And to this day, you know, I look back on my career with fondness, but I, I'm, I'm even more excited about things that I'm doing now than I did you know, back then. And, you know, not everybody can figure that out. And I always, you know, you can tell when guys are sometimes in trouble um, because, like I said, they're still trying to find that high. Uh, But, you know, I'm sure you've seen a lot of it in your uh, studies and, you know, a lot of athletes. You can tell sometimes just by how guys, and, you know, ladies as well, because, you Mm -hmm. know, just athletes in general, when they, you can tell just from their conversations sometimes whether they've got, they've gotten past it or, you know, or the first thing they want to talk about, well, you know, you know, I was a professional athlete and I did this and that, and they want to run down their career all the time. And, you know, sometimes people will say to me, it's almost like pulling teeth to get you to talk about what, you know, like what you use. I'm like, because I mean, that was cool, but I'd rather talk about the things that I, that you do. Like I'm fascinated with people that are musicians or, you know, doctors or this. I'm all, I want to talk more about, what you're doing and what you've done at the same time, they want to find out, you know, what was it like to do this or do that? So, you know, for me, that's like I said, it's always a sign when, you know, I know some guys, like I said, you would, here we are all these later years later. And the only thing they still want to talk about the glory days instead of what they're doing now. And that's a bad sign usually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, how did you, um, you know, get into radio and how did you, and the second question is how did you get out to Arizona? Yeah, well, for Arizona, I started coming out here all the way back in 1992. I was uh, traded from the White Sox to the Brewers in the summer of 91. So I finished that season with the Brewers, and then my spring training changed from Florida to here uh, in Arizona. So I started coming out and spending my winters. 
And then, you know, I go away and play ball. And then when I switched over to football, I was back in East East for a while. I spent my seven years in Atlanta. And then in 2003, it was kind of one of those things where I just kind of got, you know, my brother was out here, had a house. Mom and dad were spending more time out here. Uh, I was down in Atlanta by myself. I started coming back out. Next, you know, you caught the bug. And here I am all these years later. So I've been officially back out here since 2003. And I love it. Um, as far as radio, it was a fluke. I, I had been, you know, I'd always done media, uh, you know, and this, we're going back to 90 or 2011, you know, podcasts and different things were out there, but, you know, radio was one of those things that I almost got just talked into one, uh, uh, someone who was, had heard about my book. They asked me some of the things that I wanted to do. And I was like, I'm not quite sure. And next, you know, they were talking about, you ever think about doing radio? And I thought, no, 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 not really. But, and I ended up starting, I did a Saturday night show, which was my first taste in radio. Uh, Started doing, it was an hour show from eight to nine on Saturday nights on this little Christian station out here, Katie. And, you know, I didn't know anything was going to ever come of it, but I started doing that. You know, producing it myself. I had my uh, the person who she she was actually running my board and things like that. She wanted to learn that side of it, so we started working together. And the next thing I know, after about a year and a half, I took a break from that show. But others uh, here in the valley had been following me and hearing me on the radio, and I started guest spotting on all these different uh, shows. And next thing you know, there was a spot that my 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 spot opened up on at the time it was NBC Sports Radio out here. 1060 AM, which is still 1060, but it's now sports map. You know, they feel it's changed from time to time. But uh, they talked me into, hey, we should look at maybe doing a show together. And, you know, and I thought, well, you know, I did radio in the past. It was fun. And, you know, went to the station. We kind of hashed some things out. Next thing you know, the Easy Sports Talk Show did its first show. Was it uh, March 4th, 2017? And here I am in the same time slot every Saturday from 10 to 12, uh, you know, five years and some change later. And it's been, you know, one of the best things I've done It's allowed me to not just do my show. But as I mentioned, I have the privilege of doing shows like yours. I've done countless spots on ESPN. I'm asked, you know, especially during the football season, I'm usually doing three or four either podcasts or spots on ESPN across the country and just kind of growing that. So Radio was not something that was on my radar initially, but I've been told I'm pretty good at it. And, you know, I've learned a whole lot. I, you know, I run my uh, own equipment because we do live remotes around the valley. So I know how to do the Comrex unit. Uh, you know, I help produce. I actually I produce the show every week as far as putting it together. And, you know, so, you know, and my radio partner, my Javon, we've been together three and a half years. I had an original partner who stepped away after a year and a half. Javon came and sat in the seat. So, you know, I've learned a lot and, you know, it's a, it's a great feeling, you know, every week to do the show. And, you know, we talk about the local teams out here. We also do a lot of national stuff and we, uh, you know, support a lot of nonprofits, charitable organizations through our show. And uh, I get a lot of pride out of it. That's amazing. Well, yes, you do have a very like welcoming voice. Great. (laughs) You, You know, you really do. 
I hate my voice more than life itself, Katie. It's funny. I've never listened to a full show of my own. Uh Even though I keep them all archived and everything like that. When I I hear, because, you know, I always, after we do the shows, we have our live guests. I always clip the shows so I can send to them. And I I cannot stand hearing my voice. It's funny. People are always like, oh, you got a great radio voice. I'm like, oh, my God, I hate hearing myself. So, But as long as people keep telling me, that I do, I'll believe them and I'll just keep moving forward. <laughs> I keep it moving. Well, you know, that's so interesting <laughs> that you say that because I have heard that a lot from other interviews is people always say to me, I hate the way that I sound. Yeah, yeah. And I it's don't... ironic that, you know, you know, you know, I'm heard all around the place sometimes and a lot of people listen, uh, but myself, like I said, I, I, okay. I refuse. And I'm talking about all types of interviews. Mm-hmm. I've done everything. Like I said, ESPN, we do our two hour show. I do podcasts. I do. I've done TV stuff. And and it's just, ugh, goodness, I don't know what it is. Well, it's kind of cool, though. That's kind of yeah, cool. Yeah. You, know, you just send it into the universe and so be it. Right. As long as, you know, like, I, I guess it's a good thing. Like if if people ever told me that I didn't have a good radio voice and I'd kind of figure out what I've been doing all with myself all this time, still doing radio. But, you know, people, like I said, I, more than anything, especially with my, my, my radio partner, Javon Adams, I love, we love to laugh. We also do the Believe in Arizona podcast, uh, Cardinals podcast together. So we, and he has other stuff that he does that I collaborate with him. And we have so much fun uh, doing the show. The second it becomes non-fun, for me, Katie, I would walk away from it in a minute. As long as it continues to be fun, I think we put out a good product in terms of the, the things that we talk about. And we also have the ability to help a whole lot of people through, like I said, bringing awareness. Like a couple of weeks ago, we did a whole spot. We uh, uh, had um, someone from the Humane, Arizona Humane Society. They had a big event coming up. I got a last minute request. Can we come on and Maybe you can or tell people a little bit about. I was like, nah, we'll do better than that. We'll have you on for a portion of one of the segments so you can tell everybody about the event and what you're doing right from your mouth and lips. So, as long as we can continue to help the community, uh, help organizations, I have fun. And uh, like I said, we put together good shows. I'm good. Very cool. Very cool. <laughs> well, like I said, and props to you for giving back to the community and, you know, just even being a motivational speaker. I mean, I'm sure you've touch so many lives that you have no idea. I try. Like I said, my, my biggest thing is just want to make sure, you know, and I have an 11 year old son. I just want to always make sure that I'm giving, um, you know, good example for him and anybody else I can assist. And I had mentioned it earlier, Katie, I'm nowhere near perfect. I got as many flaws as anybody else out there, but if anything I've been through both negative and positive can assist somebody else in maybe realizing a dream or chasing something that they didn't think was attainable or staying away from this, or if I can assist, you know, in any way, you know, I, I love those, uh, those, those opportunities and the platforms that we have, including, you know, what you're doing with your show. I, you know, I, I think you're going to do, you're going to do amazing in what you do. Just sometimes you just get a feel for, you know, when you're speaking to somebody, I can tell this is going to be something you're good at and who knows who you're going to touch and that's like I said, every time I step behind the mic or you know get up on a stage or whatever it is, or even just have a conversation with someone at a coffee shop, uh, if I can be some type of positive in their life, uh, that's that's what we're all here for, in my opinion. Oh well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Um, 
Two more questions. So obviously, since you, you know, live sports and now, you know, you're in sports radio and observing sports, do you think it's a different, you know, is sports the same as it once was? Like, you know what I mean? No, I know exactly what you mean. And the the, the answer is absolutely not. And you know what <laughs> changed, what's changed at all, Katie, is you, obviously there's, I think back to when I was young and playing, this all this whole thing with social media and mm-hmm. you know it can be good and it can be bad. I think a lot of young the new generation sometimes is more about their brand than it is about chasing a passion or trying to deliver a positive message. Mm-hmm. And you know, it goes for you know, athletes, comedians, actors, whatever it is. Our whole society has changed. A lot of it has to do with the exposure. And what is considered good and bad press these days, you know, um, being an athlete today, in my opinion, is so much tougher because there's nowhere you can go to hide or not be in the limelight these days. And, you know, like I said, you know, when we were, you know, some of my teammates, we laugh about it all the time now. You know, we were on some of our long road trips acting stupid and doing dumb things. Thank God there weren't cameras and things out there and every single thing was being caught and immediately for consumption. You know, I, I here's how far I'm going to take you back, Katie. You know, it was your biggest fear back then was being in the paper, newspaper. Right. And if it did get out there, hopefully it was just in the local paper and it was just a one day news cycle, you know, use. Now something happens and immediately you're not even done with whatever the activity is and you're already seeing live shots of XYZ in a bad light. Or for instance, and you'll notice too, especially getting into the media here, you have to be careful about even just what you say from moment to moment. If it's not totally politically correct, careers can be lost in a moment, in a moment. Just because of the, you know, the many I call many a slip between a cup and a lip, you know. So as far as sports, it's like I said, it's the same thing all the way across in society. Everything has changed. A lot of it has to do with the amount of social media and things that are out there, and they can be a blessing and a curse all rolled up into one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> obviously, I'm not an athlete, but I agree with what you're saying. Just because. Oh. I mean, yeah, just every, I always say, even if you're not, like, if you're not in the limelight, there's always a camera. Everywhere. Always, (laughs) someone's always watching you. Um, And a fun kind of, I don't know if this is fun, but I am very intrigued. You know, I always tell people I love the old show Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack back in the day. Mm -hmm. And my favorite segment was The Unexplained. Okay. <laughs> so, was wanting to know on a to end on a different note. Is there anything that you've experienced that obviously that you'd like to share? That whether it was, did you see a ghost? Did you hear something that wasn't there? Like anything like that in, in that realm? That's a great question. I, I would say that I have. I'm a I'm a I'm a very spiritual person. You know, I don't make it to church every Sunday. Uh, but I believe in God. I, I know, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily calling ghosts or anything like that, but I think there are spirits and things that are always around us. And I've had instances throughout my life when I've been at the quietest moments, Katie, and maybe just contemplating something. And it's always, 
something will let me know that someone is thinking about me, whether it be my, I lost my, I think I mentioned, I lost my dad a few years ago. Um, I lost so many good people, grandmothers, my best, one of my best friends in the world, Eric uh, Dixon lost him to a sudden heart attack way back in 2002. So all these things have been around me, you know, I, and there are times when I just know for a fact, someone is trying to let me know that, Hey, just want to let you know, I'm thinking about you or, you were contemplating this. I want to let you know, this is my opinion on it. And Great. somehow, and I can say it could be something, a note that I wrote two years ago and thought I lost it and find it in a binder somewhere. Or just, I just always feel like there's, as you call it, the unexplained. And there's, you know, and not to get too deep, but for me, the thought that at some point, you know, God willing, I live to be 90 years old, uh, you know, die peacefully with my family and everybody surrounding me. The thought that we just close our eyes and everything goes to black. I just, with all the things that we see in this world, the fact that our planet is not bumping into every other planet out there, you know, there's a something put this all together. And for me, just the thought of, like I said, that there's not something guiding us. And that means some of our people that have been here before us, uh, I just, I don't, I don't buy that. Something like I said, I've, I've, I've had those moments where I just, I know in my mind, uh, there are some of my loved ones from behind uh, have been just letting me know that they're okay and just want to check on me. No, that's awesome. Well, like that said, is I- a great question too. That that's something that is, you know, I, I've done a thousand interviews and, you know, that's one that, like I said, I always love when somebody comes up with something you know, out of the box or something original that I, I love that. So continue on with that. Well, thank you. Like I said, that, that means a lot. I just, um, well, I guess I ask it too, because I have experienced those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very spiritual as well. And just believe that like, even though the vessel may be gone, like the spirit is still, you know, they're everyone's Absolutely. still around. So, well, Ed Smith, that's it. <laughs> One down and a whole bunch more to go, Katie. And you're going to be absolutely fabulous at doing this. And as I mentioned, anytime or anything I can do to continue to, uh, you know, assist, if you have any questions, anything like that, uh, down the road, we'll keep in touch. I'd love to have you on our show, whether it's the Cardinals podcast or our Saturday show. Uh, you know, like I said, I'm gr- grateful that you reached out and I'm gl- I'm looking forward to staying in touch too. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Like I said, <laughs> thank you so much. This was such a joy. Liftoff of mission 41B, the first flight of the orbiter discovery and the shuttle has cleared the tower. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.